The following podcast is sponsored by you. If you'd like to donate to help us continue providing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there, please use the link in the show notes for this episode. Proceeds from your donations will be used to pay for hosting fees, which are the most expensive ongoing part of providing this show. Thank you in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special off-season edition, host George Templeton reviews what's been happening since the last time the Rams hit the court. And now, here's George. Welcome and thank you for listening to Rams Rewind. We are back. And if you like what you hear and you want to support this podcast, there is a tip jar on Podbean that you can toss a little money towards us like our friends Daniel Carter, Daniel Carter and Carlos Diaz did this week. And we thank you for the support and we thank you for listening and backing stuff like this because we love doing this podcast. It's a lot of fun for myself and the producer. And we're almost there. The season is almost here. We've just had media day. And coming on to talk about the state of the A-10 and, and a look at where VCU resides and, and what's going to happen in this conference is Matt Graber from the outstanding three-bid league podcast, sort of the flagship podcast of this conference, at least in my opinion. And he's joining us. And Matt, it's great to have you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, George. That's quite an honor. I, I don't know if I'd say we're the flagship podcast, because there's a lot of great A-10 podcasts, including yours, but always fun to be on talking some A-10 basketball. Yes, it is. And it's 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 been a long wait for this season to get here, and it's almost here. As we record today, it's ten days until our preseason game against Shippensburg. When's when's Dayton's uh, exhibition preseason game, and who are they playing? Yeah, they're going to be playing on. I think it's two Saturdays from now against Capital, so a local school from Columbus. Actually, I believe they're still coached by a University of Dayton alum, Damon Goodwin, who was teammates with Anthony Grant back in the day. So, oh, fun wow. little rivalry there, and. Hopefully, you know, for Dayton, their season gets off to a little better start than what happened last year. <laughs> yeah, but it, tur- it turned around real quick. But we'll leave that because we have a lot that we'll spend a lot of time on Dayton in the top of the conference. Uh, we're, what we're going to start here with is, of course, the, the, what the media, the, how the media voted, the preseason poll, Dayton, um, the overwhelming choice to finish first out of 29 pre- first place votes. They got 22. St. Louis was second with the other seven, then VCU, the new the new member loyal of Chicago, George Mason, which was probably the biggest surprise to me at five, Davidson at six, Richmond at seven, UMass at eighth, Rhode Island ninth, St. Bonaventure tenth, Fordham eleventh, George Washington twelfth, St. Joseph's thirteenth, LaSalle fourteenth, and last at fifteenth, Duquesne. We're going to start with the bottom half, and there's one huge overriding story with the bottom half of this conference, at least as predicted, and that is the influx of coaching talent. Frank Martin at UMass, Archie Miller at Rhode Island, those are your eighth and ninth place teams. Jim Laranega's longtime uh, number one number one uh, assistant, Chris Caputo at George Washington, and of course the evergreen friend Dumphy at LaSalle. How excited do you think the conference is and 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 everybody is about seeing these kind of coaches coming in the league because to me it speaks of how well this league is going and in the, and the great direction it's going in. 
Yeah, I think it's a really exciting time. And in recent years, we've seen UMass and Rhode Island, two teams that have historically had success in the A-10, have both kind of fallen on harder times the last couple of seasons. And for them to bring in two huge name coaches that have spent time in the Power Five, in the case of Archie Miller at Rhode Island, we've seen him have great success in the A-10 already. So I think that's really exciting. And then even for LaSalle, I know Fran Dunphy, maybe people didn't expect him to get back into college coaching, but he's a big five Philadelphia legend. And he took Penn and Temple to so many tournaments over the years. So overall, I think this has to be great for the conference and definitely makes our jobs a little bit harder over the offseason, figuring out what to make of everything, just with a total of seven new coaches across the league, a lot of change going on. Yes. And, and again, the reason this league I feel like is in great shape is that I think the bottom is going to get a lot better and the middle is going to get a lot better because the middle looks pretty tough. There is one thing, though, and this is this is was the first head scratcher for me, is Duquesne and last. Now, I know, to me, last year is about the worst year you can have, about as bad a year as you can have coaching without a tragedy, a scandal, or a firing. It was an absolute anus horribilis for Keith Danbrot. I think the players transferred. They had absolutely awful injuries. But I'm looking at his coaching record, and before last season, he had had one losing season in his entire coaching career. And I just can't see things being that awful for Duquesne again. So am I, am, am, am I the one that's wrong and everybody else is right, or are we missing something with Duquesne? Because I, I just can't believe they're going to be that terrible again. No, I agree with you. And when the preseason rankings came out last week, I didn't have – that many major problems with how everything shook out, but I thought Duquesne getting picked dead last was kind of ridiculous. And it's exactly what you talked about, how Keith Tambrot has really resurrected Duquesne. I mean, I'm sure you remember how bad the Dukes were for years until he got there and turned them around fairly quickly. And the most impressive thing to me, even after last year where they go 18 games below 500, including 17 in a row to close out the season, He's still a 500 coach in five seasons with the Dukes. And I think you just have to look at history. You you could point to them losing so many players from last year's team via the portal. I'm not sure that's such a bad thing, though, when they go 6-24. and They kind of needed to start from scratch. They brought in a couple really experienced transfers, especially in the backcourt. And also they have a a former VC Ram, Trey Clark, and we all know he can play. So, yeah, I, I... wouldn't say Duquesne's a top half team by any means, but I'd be stunned if they were in the bottom two or three teams. I, I think they could even finish ninth or tenth. And you mentioned Trey Clark, and I just want to say this: when he got booted off the team at VCU, that hurt because they were they their depth that they had at guard that season went 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 away, and they had some real struggles without him. He's a great defensive player. He's he's a wonderful he's a, he's a guy in the Dan Brock mold and the fact that he's going to play hard every second he's out there he's tough as nails I just again I I can't believe it's going to be this bad for Duquesne and I hope it's not because I I can't I I I imagine he might be in some trouble if it is but I hope not because he is a very good coach and and that's a program that could actually be going places they got the new arena which is an absolutely fantastic facility anybody that went to the women's tournament when they had it up there. 
I mean, that, that is, that, that's a first class facility now. So I, I really want to see Duquesne bounce back and do well. So then we get to the middle of the conference. And until I actually investigated Davidson's roster situation, I went, I saw Davidson at sixth below, you know, where they were. And I went, what? There's, wait a minute. Cause I knew Brockovich might've been gone because you, you get, I lost, I lost track with all the COVID. Do they have a COVID eligibility and all this other stuff? Young Jung Lee's loss, as I was saying to, to Matt before the show, is just is, is just a whole head palm situation. Why he declared, I don't know. But I look at Davidson's history in the A-10, and they've had one losing season in terms of conference record. They've been below sixth only twice. They're picked sixth this year. Uh, even with Bob McKillop gone and the players that they've lost, ooh, I'm a little worried that we might be, we might be caught underestimating Dayton again. And, and when we've done that, Dayton's surprised us all. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And on paper, the roster doesn't look all that great. They lose the two all-conference players you mentioned, and then also Michael Jones at guard. So a lot of holes to fill on the team, but I still feel like you have to look at Davidson's history. They, they've never had a bad year in the A-10. You're right about that. And they still bring back a player of the year candidate, Foster Lawyer, one of the best point guards in the A-10. And then a guy that my co-host Tyler and I both think is a huge breakout candidate is Sam Menenga, who should, I think, take over a lot of Bradkovich's production in, in the post. And we saw him with a couple of really nice games in the A-10 tournament toward the end of the year. So I think Davidson's probably going to be fine. I, I think the biggest question is how well Matt McKillop steps in as the new head coach, but he's been with the Davidson program his whole life. He's been an assistant coach for, I think, about 15 years. So I think in terms of all the coaching transitions we're going to see this year, this that could be one of the smoothest ones. Sam Menanga, not very many VCU fans, fa- uh, the favorite Davidson player. There was been, <laughs> there been some real battles with him and some certain yep. things, and I can probably remember yelling a few profane things at the television <laughs> when he's done stuff in the games uh, that I didn't like in particular. But, you know, we'll leave that aside. If you're right and he can take over – what Brockovich did, they're going to be a lot tougher. George Mason at five was an eye popper for me. I mean, they were way better than I thought they would be under Kim English to start last year. But wow, I mean, it, it, when you look at that, you're sitting there saying, "Well, they're the they're the bolter, they're the horse that's that's rising fast and could be a real problem." Is George Mason ready to be that good? Ready to contend for a for a top four spot and a buy? I think they really could be in. <clears throat> They kind of have one of the same big problems as last year where we need to figure out who's going to step up and be their starting point guard. But they have one of the best players in the conference, Josh Oduro, who just exploded last year. And around him, they're such an experienced team with Victor Bailey Jr. coming in from Tennessee. They return Davon Cooper and Ticket Gaines. So they're going to be starting a lot of seniors. I mean, really up there with Richmond and St. Bonaventure, like the types of experience that they had last year. That's what George Mason's going to be like now. The problem though, is just last year, they really didn't get a lot of production out of the point guard spot. They lose Xavier Johnson. So looking at the roster, it's really going to either come down to a freshman, Devin Dinkins, or it could be Saquon Singleton coming over from New Mexico, who has a lot of tools and at six foot six, he could give them a ton of length at that position. It's just kind of hard to say, though, because New Mexico has been pretty bad the last couple of years while he was there. And in this league, 
with some of the point guards that are in this league, you can't be you can't be short at that spot because you've got Yuri Collins, Ace Baldwin, Foster Lawyer. You've got so many good point guards in this league. If you're if you're talent deficient there, you're gonna you're gonna get wore out at that position. I don't think there's any question about it. So that brings us to the team in fourth, the new kid on the block. I don't know. I, I'd I'd love to know what your reaction was when you heard Loyola Chicago was coming to this conference because I was surprised, and I'm and I'm a little sad because I've loved the Missouri Valley for a long time, and it's been I don't want to say decimated, but it's it's been changed, it's been altered fundamentally by the exits that they've had. But wow, to have a program like that in this conference with all the other programs we've got, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is, and. You think about all the other A10 editions we've had the last 10 years or so. It's all they've all had one thing in common. It's come shortly after a Cinderella run in the tournament, whether it was George Mason or VCU going to the Final Four. Davidson made an Elite Eight run with Steph Curry and even Butler, if you remember them being in the A10 for a year, that came on the heels of their back-to-back Final Four appearances. So I, I think it's great for the conference. I, I feel like over the last five or six years, Loyola has shown that they can be a mid-major basketball power. And personally, I'm a little bit biased as a Midwestern Atlantic 10 fan, but I think it's great to add a team from Chicago into the mix too. So we'll see what happens this year. I was not really sure what to expect, where they would get picked and ended up being fourth place. They really only bring back two key players from last year's NCAA tournament team, Braden Norris and Marquise Kennedy out of the backcourt. And otherwise, they're pretty much just filling in their holes with transfers, which it seems like they did a good job. They brought in four or five experienced guys that should help them continue to be a top half team. But I I think it is going to look a lot different than what we saw out of Loyola last season. In this age of conference movement, and and I I would go further and call it conference anarchy, I look at Loyola as somebody that shores up the Midwestern schools to maybe say, okay, you don't want to, don't leave, don't leave us because you know we're 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 making the efforts. We want you here. We don't want you out on an island where you think, oh, I might be better off somewhere else. That's one of the – to me, that's one – there's all sorts of advantages to having Loyola of Chicago in the league, but to me, that's the biggest one. Yeah, I know. I think so. And, I mean, especially for St. Louis being – I mean, they're about a six-hour drive from Dayton, and that's the closest school for them. So definitely helps the Billikens out. And, I mean, these days, too, you look at all the other conferences that have been changing. I don't even know how much of a, fia- a factor geography is anymore. Like, you look at what the Big 12 is about to be doing in the next couple of years. But no, I, I think it definitely helps the A-10 expand its footprint. But it, it's more, to me, it's more about keeping those schools because mm-hmm. let's face it, when, when we've, we've, whenever I've heard about Big East fa- expansion, two schools' names always come up, Dayton and St. Louis. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I know, I think the Big East had their media day earlier this week and they talked about potentially expanding in the next couple of years. I think once their TV deal gets renewed or runs out with Fox. So I, I don't know. I, I think Dayton, the whole Dayton Xavier thing, it seems unlikely the Flyers would ever go. St. Louis, I, I could see, especially if they have a lot of success the next two years. But the Big East is kind of in a position where they can be selective, I think, with who they ever decide to take if they expand. 
All right, so that brings us to the top three. VCU was picked third. I was a little surprised by that. Uh, not a lot, but a little. St. Louis second, Dayton first. Let's let me start with Dayton, the the school that you that you graduated from and, and cheer for. I can't wait to see them this year. They are a preseason top twenty five team, which is actually usually a bit of a curse on the eight ten. And as I and I warned, and and before you all jumped down my throat for being mean to our guest, I warned him I was going to bring this up. <laughs> the year Dayton was going to be a number one seed, and then COVID screwed the world. Dayton was not a preseason top 25 team. They were not the preseason number one team in the A-10. My memory was they were about fifth or sixth. It might have been a little bit higher. We've seen a lot of A-10 teams struggle with being that preseason ranking. I think this team's so much better equipped than those. I think the coach is is so experienced and so very good that he can handle it. How – I mean, it it must be – the campus must be buzzing about this team and must just be like – God, it can't get here soon enough, November 11th. Yeah, no, it's been an exciting offseason for Dayton fans. And I think it's it's also frustrating coming off a year where the Flyers were the first team out of the field. And really, you look at it, it was so avoidable. If Dayton just took care of business in one of their three consecutive bye game losses early in the season, and then also dropping a crucial road game at LaSalle, which has been a house of horrors for a lot of A-10 schools over the years. But to see how close the Flyers came last year and bringing back, I know it's the most minutes in the A-10. It could be up there among the most minutes returning in the country. You would think with having so many guys with the potential to make freshman to sophomore year leaps, the, the potential seems sky high. The question is just consistency, which Dayton didn't have last year. Can they put together a full season and avoid those landmines. Deron Holmes. I don't, I don't even, I I looked on the list and they actually didn't list a preseason player of the year. If there was one, it would, it would, my opinion, it would be him and it wouldn't even be close. Can Deron Holmes be, I'm okay. This is going to sound crazy. Can Deron (laughs) Holmes be an all American this year? Cause I believe that he can. I think there's a chance. I, I don't think that's crazy to say. And it it sounds stupid for me to come on here and make Obi Toppin comparisons to Deron Holmes, but the way they both run the floor, I mean, they they have some similarities in their game. Now, I will say a couple differences. Obi Toppin was a way better shooter and just a way better well-rounded offensive player than Holmes. But I will say, I, I think right now Deron Holmes is the best defensive player in the conference or at least the best defensive center and that's something that Obi Toppin never really had as one of the best shot blockers in the conference so some differences there but I I think overall we know Duran is going to be excellent on the defensive end if he can become an even bigger threat offensively where he was already an efficient player but now maybe seeing higher usage going into his sophomore year I, I think he does have a really high ceiling going into the season I, I would imagine the other big men are, are going to be excited to face him knowing what a, what a big-time talent he is. But at the same time, it's kind of frightening because you don't want to end up on a poster. And Deron <laughs> Holmes is going to put a few people on a poster. The other guy on Dayton I want to talk about because – and he got some he's, he, he's, he got some acknowledgement in the preseason all-conference teams. But I, I'm not sure it, it was as big a story as it should have been. But Tumani Kamara – 
uh, to me, he was the most improved player from from the start of the season to the end of the season last year. And I just love that kid's game. You know, t- t- just just tell tell the folks that are listening about him, uh, what kind of player he is, and what kind of player he's turning into. Yeah, no, I think that's right. That he was one of the most improved players throughout that last season, and I can say from. Dayton's perspective there were sky high expectations on him last November coming over from Georgia where he was a double digit a game scorer we all thought he would immediately come in and be the best player on the court and that didn't really happen it it took him some time he had a lot of turnover problems early in the year shot the ball very poorly but I think by the time we got the conference play last year both like him and Anthony Grant figured out a way for to have two effective post players at the same time. And we saw Kamara and Holmes work really well together on the court for Dayton. It created a tremendous front line um, on defense where two outstanding rebounders, two great shot blockers. And that's what really elevated Dayton's defense where they kind of struggled the first half of the season before turning it around and being up there with VCU as one of the better defensive teams. So I think that's kind of just the key for Kamara. He doesn't need to be the superstar on offense where I think that created a lot of his turnover problems early and he just had the ball in his hands too much around the perimeter. Now that Dayton's found him in better spots and has him in the correct role where he can still get some open threes, but mainly get the ball closer to the hoop. I I think he has figured out how to make those situations work and just be a more efficient player and more disciplined. You know, it's you bring that up, and I think about VCU's game at Dayton to start the conference year, and and he was it was a mess from him. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. took some bad shots in that game. He had a bunch of turnovers, and and everything that you're talking about. As I flash back to that, and it's and it's and it's, and he's and he's not the same player now. He's so much better, and I and again, I he's somebody else that I enjoy that I enjoyed watching play later in the year when I would watch Dayton, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do this year because because. I did not realize that there were such big raps on him coming to Dayton, and I and and my expectations for him are high as well. Now St. Louis is very interesting because your typical Travis Ford team has a lot of big tough brutes up front, and they just bludgeon you on the boards and bust your head and just and run you over. But this team is is centered around a pretty darn good backcourt: Yuri Collins and Gibson Jimerson. I think of Gibson Jimerson draining all those threes in that game at St. Louis to, to sink VCU's hopes of a conference championship and shivers go down my <laughs> spine. This is it, it, it's it's so strange for a Travis Ford team to be so guard centric, but this one is, you know, how there's they were picked second. I think they're gonna be an NCAA tournament team, and I think they could be one that could even win a few games. You know, how do you view St. Louis? Yeah, I feel the same way, and it is weird. We've had to adjust like from seeing Hassan French just bully everyone under the hoop. Now, St. Louis doesn't really play like that at all. They space the floor, and you add Javante Ber- Perkins coming back from a major injury. I, just the idea of having him and Gibson Jimerson on each wing shooting a ton of threes, that's frightening. And I think St. Louis is going to be the best offensive team in the conference this year. Just having Yuri Collins, one of the best point guards in the country, and probably in line to lead the nation in assists once again, having so many talented scorers and shooters around him, that's just scary to think about. So 
I think more of my concerns just lie in since Travis Ford and St. Louis is getting away from that bully ball approach, is that is their defense going to suffer? I'm not sure. Last year it was down to fifth in the A-10, which is a little bit low for their standards. But I'm also just not sure how much it's going to matter if they're scoring 80 to 85 points a night. And one of the things that was really eye-popping about them last year they used to be one of the worst foul shooting teams in the country. And they went, they were, I think they were up in like the top 30 or 40 by the end of the season last year. And I'm just like, how, how, how does that happen? Since, since my team seems to have that problem from time to time where they can't make a foul shot either, you know, that, that the turnaround in them, it's again, mm-hmm. it's of all the people, Travis Ford's the last person on earth that I thought would have a team like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I think he was, isn't he one of like the all-time NCAA best shooters or something from his days at Kentucky? So yes, I guess he finally shot taught his teams how to shoot free throws. But seriously, I mean, I think a lot of that, he just did a great job developing his offensive players. And specifically, Uri Collins took a huge jump where his freshman and sophomore years, he was a pretty terrible shooter, both from three and the free throw line. He got much better. And then Gibson Jimerson, who was pretty much just a three-point sniper his first two years. Really, I think, improved his all-around game, and he started scoring more at the rim, drawing fouls, and that's a big reason we saw his points per game shoot up compared to the last couple seasons. So that brings me to VCU. That is that is the uh, team that we follow here on Rams Rewind. The episode before you, we had the guy that covers them for the Richmond Times-Dispatch on. We were talking about their roster I'm cautiously optimistic because these newcomers, trans, both transfers and you know recruited freshmen coming in, are very talented. But I am worried about the integration of them. And maybe in one sense, the fact that their non-conference schedule on paper does not look nearly as fearsome as last year, maybe that'll help. But I, but it's tough. I mean, you've, you've got to get these guys integrated quick because – they start with LaSalle in conference play, and you think, okay, that's a win. And then they have a pretty tough stretch, which I think includes a Dayton matchup, maybe in Dayton, I think, in, inside the first you know four or five games of the conference. So I'm a little bit – I'm a little concerned about that, about trying to reintegrate all these players and trying to make up for the lost production with Hassan Ward leaving, uh, leaving us and, um, and Keyshawn Curry leaving us. And defensively – I mean, again, those were two of the rocks of our really, really good defense, and that's that's still our calling card as a program. We're not a great offensive team, at least <laughs> not yet. Hopefully this year that changes. Yeah, no, I think so. And I, I can say from an outsider's perspective, as someone who's not following VCU quite as closely, I view them kind of in a similar lens to Davidson, who we already talked about, as a team that you can just trust to be good pretty much every year. And really the only terrible season VCU's had in recent memory was the first year of Mike Rhodes, where he inherited a a pretty rough roster, had a lot of rebuilding going on. But ever since then, especially on the defensive end, VCU's always been solid. And I can just say my expectation is even though they do have a lot of shoes to fill, like you mentioned, VCU just always does such a great job recruiting athletes that can buy into the defensive system. And I look at guys like Alfonso Billups at six foot seven, he looks really quick. Or Toby Lawal, who apparently has a 46 inch vertical or something insane like that. I just have confidence that Mike Rhodes and his staff is 
going to be able to teach these guys how to play VCU's brand of defense. And then, like you said, the offense, that might take a little bit more time. And hopefully for the Rams, by the time we get into conference play, they're humming a little bit better on that end. There's two interesting possibilities with them. One of them, and I'd love your thoughts on this, is that we might see a little bit more of the old-style havoc, that the kind Hmm. of players that they've recruited might mean we might see a lot more trapping and pressing and those kinds of things. Now, that's a tough thing in a league going up against some really good guards like we're going up against, including, you know, Malachi Smith at Dayton. But, you know, that is one thing about it, I think we're going to see a return to the Army approach, a lot of players playing, wearing teams down. I think that could be very exciting. I think it could be a very exciting thing for other people in the league to watch. And I think it's, you know, VCU, that's, that's one of their brands that maybe they've lost. They need to get back. And the other thing is David Shriver, three-point shooting. This team wasn't a good three-point shooting team when they took a lot of volume. It was only when they got selective mm-hmm. that they actually shot the ball decently, which they did in conference play for the most part. So those are the two things that, for me, are, are could potentially be big stories with VCU. Uh, what? Uh, how do you reckon? How do you reckon that in terms of these matchups in this conference and how this conference shakes out if those two things end up being the case? Yeah, no, I think those are some good points, and I think specifically with the the old school havoc approach, I think if there's one team that can get away with that, it is VCU, just because. You know, I I talked about this with Tyler on our podcast recently, but every team and like every fan always goes into the season thinking their roster is super deep and they have 11 or 12 guys that can play. Usually that never works out and teams kind of cut down to seven or eight once you get into conference play. But I feel like VCU is one of the exceptions where we always see them running a deep rotation and with the transfers and freshmen they brought in this year with the length they have all over the court. I feel like that would be a good approach for them to really focus on wearing down other teams going deep into the bench. And then as for the three-point shooting, that's definitely going to be critical. And personally, I think Vince Williams, what he did last season, was pretty remarkable elevating VCU's offense. And not just as a three-point shooter, but all around the court. He just had a great season. So... I do think Shriver could potentially be an under-the-radar transfer. I mean, somebody on this team is going to need to make some threes. And whether it's him or, you know, I'm really high on Jaden Nunn, too. Um, Jameer Watkins coming back, maybe he can get his three-point percentage up from his freshman year. It seems like there's a lot of guys that could potentially replace some of Williams' production. We just don't really know who it's going to be yet. And somebody's going to have to step up in a big way and break out. All right, we'll get to, we'll finish off on this, and it is the central question for this league. Your pod, of course, is called Three Bid League because that's kind of the goal for the A10 every year. Uh, I think that I I can't I shouldn't say it's a certainty. I think three bids is highly likely this year, and I think potentially even more than that. If if a Loyola, if a Davidson, if a Mason really shoots up and surprises people, even Richmond. We didn't spend a lot of time on, but they were higher on the on the poll than I thought, given all the players that, that they've lost at you know and all the experience that they've had that's off the team. Is this is the A ten going to be a three bid league or more this year? 
Well, I hope so. And I guess for a little background, too. So we started this three-bit league podcast and account for the 2018-19 season, which was really the first time in years the A-10 wasn't a three-bit league. And it still hasn't happened since we've started this. So I hope it's not our fault. I hope we didn't curse anything. (laughs) (laughs) Although It's kind of seemed that way, especially last year with Dayton being the first team out. But you're right. On paper, there really shouldn't be an excuse with Dayton, St. Louis, and I don't know if everyone's quite on board with VCU yet, although I think they should be. I think VCU's going to be right in the mix, too. Those are three teams right there with an NCAA tournament level of talent. And then just all the teams in the middle of the pack, whether it's Loyola, George Mason, Davidson, even it could be someone like UMass, who we don't know as much about yet. There's just so much breakout potential. So... Three bids seems like it should definitely be the expectation. I'm a little hesitant to say that it's likely, and it's definitely not a certainty because nothing really is in this conference, but it it should definitely be the expectation, and maybe it can even be more than that. We saw the Mountain West get four teams in last year, so that's not out of the realm of possibility. All right, well, Matt, this has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, So I'm so glad that... that that the we were I was able to reciprocate and have one of you guys on the show after you had me on uh, during the off season. Uh, I'm looking forward to this season a lot. Uh, uh, just just because again, this there I feel like there's a buzz about the A10. I think in, in college basketball circles, there's a buzz about the A10. Not just because of Loyola, Loyola Chicago, but because the teams at the top look so good. And and. Dayton's, you know, Dayton's been there before recently, and they could have another magical season. I know it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think, oh, they can they can repeat what they did a few years ago with Obi Toppin, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I think something on the order of that is actually possible for Dayton. And again, it's just great for this league when that happens. So, Matt, anything you want to plug your podcast, Twitter, any other social media, go right ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow us on, we're mostly active on Twitter at 3BidLeaguePod, and we've posted a lot of episodes over the offseason. We've been really fortunate to sit down with George Mason coach Kim English. We talked to Duquesne coach Keith Dambrot, and we've also been doing a lot of season preview episodes the last couple weeks. So definitely for any VCU or A10 fans, I I hope you'd want to check those out. It's been so much fun for us to get ready for the season and we're just really excited it on paper it seems like a great year coming up for the a ton and you know we just can't wait to follow along with everyone else all right that is rams rewind for this week uh we'll see if we're gonna have another episode before the season starts november 11th i'm not sure about that yet but i want to thank everybody for listening and once again if you want to send us a little money for the podcast there is a tip jar on podbean we really appreciate it appreciate it when you do Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week, day, night, wherever you are. And until next time. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.